Hey guys, welcome back. Today we're trying something new. We're trying something different. Um, as we all know, the world is not really black and white. It is all grey. So we're trying to explore some topics that lead to a lot of black and white answers. And we're trying to find the grey there. We're going to try and portray diverse, differing, extreme opinions to the best that we can. And question each other in ways that we can probably then end up in a semi-gray, gray area. It will allow us to check the validity of the beliefs as well as dig deeper into the other side. Neither of us hold these extreme opinions one side or the other. But it's more of a introspection into these topics. Welcome to the Thought Bistro podcast with Akhil and Vishra as we deep dive into a variety of interesting and thought-provoking topics. Join us as we explore the world of ideas and broaden our collective horizon. We've heard so many opinions in the world. Sometimes people are like, there should be no pineapple on pizza. And they are so extremist about pineapple on pizza. The question is why? And what if somebody does enjoy it? And what is food about? So... We'll be going deeper into such topics of debate and there'll be like a question-answer session where, you know, we'll question the extremities of these. And I don't think either of us hold whichever opinions we're trying to present. I think we are going to be exploring opinions from a very extreme perspective and neither of us are very extreme people. So let's see how well we can play the roles of being extreme human beings and let's test our debate skills. Let's start with the controversial one. In my opinion, tax collection by nature is kind of a farce. What I think on this front is that a lot of the times governments are forcing tax collection as something that saves a nation and governments are forcing tax collection as something that becomes redistribution of wealth. But by its pure nature, it fails to accomplish the said things that it goes on to specify. Let's start with a very simple example. When the government collects the money, government being the biggest monopoly of a nation has access to all of that taxpayer money to do whatever it feels is necessary or whatever it feels is right. A lot of the times, this money goes into unnecessary projects. For example, building a park or building some other kind of institution which is not for the welfare of the people building a new parliament house when it was not a requirement by the country. Or I read the recent news where Canadian government paid north of $10 million to house 100 people in a hotel during COVID. That $10 million has come straight out of the taxpayer's pocket. Taxation as a way of wealth distribution is just an advertisement and not really an actual source of wealth distribution. So what do you think is another way for governments to gain revenue because taxes are their one of their main sources of income, right? The question is not how the government should raise revenue, whether by taxes or elsewhere. The question is what is done with this revenue that the government is gaining? If my taxes are levied to be used for my military, to be used for my hospitals, to be used for education, to be used in projects that are not positive cash flow projects but are necessary for a social good it is understandable but then the taxes should be limited to that 
the government's role in my opinion is to play that of a referee and to prevent malice from the system but when the government starts playing a role where it tries to do everything and it tries to assure that i am the prime decider of where the money should go hence i will collect more money because in my power i am better than a capitalist society that's where society start to fall so do you think there has to be a non governmental or an organization or a committee that is disconnected from government that sort of approves or disapproves projects from the government i think the answer is not as straight forward as a third party institution to validate it it's more of a what kind of projects the government should actually get its hands into and what kind of laws that the government can make in order for there to be lesser malice then it is about what kind of policing it can do to actually implement those kind of regulations and some governments actually are doing it pretty well i think a democratic competition becomes essential in these kind of debates so what you're saying is that instead of getting a moderator for the government the government should play a role of moderator and get other people to do these projects and get private sectors companies to do these projects absolutely and that is primarily what capitalism is built around what capitalism does is it gives a demand and supply incentive to companies to do this to gain profitability out of it and the projects where there is no profitability that is where taxation should be used the projects where other people are not being able to make money but it is for the good of the society such as healthcare such as schooling and such as military which becomes an essential part of keeping peace the police force should be paid properly so that they do not have an incentive to take bribes and these institutions should be well run on that front the definition of well run again is a very deep one but that's like the overarching theme of the conversation given that it's a private sector company that is doing the job how would you go about say getting rid of corruption making sure that the process of selecting the company is fair because th- there have been many instances where when jobs such as these have gone into the private sector there's been a lot of corruption going on in the selection process there's been a lot of corruption in in terms of the the project being executed etc cetera, etc cetera. again i think that question becomes that, that the money is coming from the government's pocket the investment the initial investment should also be made by the private sector itself and what that would do is it would allow open competition into these fields if you want electric grids right you allow companies to come in and set up the electric grids for the people and you allow multiple companies to do so you allow multiple companies to bear the expenses of these and bear the losses on these if there are any you leave it to demand supply because the more it is necessary the more the requirement will be the more the supply will enter the market the lower the prices would be of the said good and the better the people of the country will do so essentially what you're trying to say is that we develop a scenario of and economics you would call a perfect competition for every single utility per se that is definitely one way to look at it because perfect competitions do keep the prices at an optimal level i know this becomes a very very hypothetical debate where everything is going absolutely fine however there are steps that can be taken in this direction so that people have better access and higher quality goods it is called the invisible hand in economics if the uh, listeners do want to look it up i think they will do very well 
again, diving deeper into the economic aspects of this. America as a whole does very good on this capitalistic society perspective and Canada does very good on the socialistic society perspective. I think somewhere between the two, there is an answer there. So how would you go about preventing a monopolistic scenario occurring in this in this case? Because there hypothetically could be a big company that comes in, underbids everyone else for the project and makes sure that they get their hands on all the projects that are coming up and creates a scenario where that company is in charge of one particular utility, making that company in essence a monopoly. How would you go about preventing that? That is a very good question. And that is where the practice of antitrust laws come into being. That is where the laws of anti-monopolistic practices come into being. That is where the government should play the referee and say that you are becoming too big. For example, there used to be a company called ExxonMobil and ExxonMobil became too big for its fans and then Exxon and Mobil had to split up because they owned the primary they primarily owned all of it. Similarly, there used to be a company called Enron and Enron had its hands on the complete electricity grid of California and they had to be taken out of California on that front because they were misusing their sources and they were misusing their power. Also, if the companies are just underbidding everybody else, they'll probably not stay profitable for long. Which again, you know, since the government is not the one supplying them with the money and since the government is not the one subsidizing all of this, they will go out of business by themselves. You don't have to do anything for them to go out of business. So essentially what you're saying is that you don't have a process you don't have a problem with the way taxes are collected. You think the process of collecting taxes is fair, but the way they're utilized is where your problem lies. I think that is definitely a very good way to put it. The other problem is that the people who actually do know how money works lie in the private sector and they will not go and work for the government. The way the government officials are put into place becomes more of a popularity contest than a skill-based contest. And giving so much money in the hands of one monopoly and hoping they will do everything it just becomes a blame game by the consumer saying the government has not done this for me. And it becomes a blame game from the government saying that we are only so capable that we can only do so much. I think there has to be a good middle way for this to happen. I think speaking of middle ways, this is a very good segue into the topic that I was thinking about. As you said, right, that the government places people based more on a popularity contest than it does on skill. So I've been thinking about this whole thing of budgets, right? Because India just had its budget for 2023 today. And, you know, it was touted the quote-unquote election budget as it was the only full budget or it was the last full budget that this government would come out with before the elections that are to take place next year. So it got me thinking that, you know, what exactly is an election budget and why is it that we allow things such as general elections to determine how a government would say spend its money for the next one year? So a lot of people were expecting, you know, taxes to be reduced because if you reduce taxes, your consumers are happier because they are getting more money in their pockets. So they're more likely to vote for this particular government. So I started doing some research as to how budgets are affected by upcoming elections. And do they actually affect the budget at all? Or are they just, you know, is it just something that people have in mind? And is it just some narrative that people use? 
So I found a paper written by Min Shi and Jacob Svensson where they examined the relations between elections and fiscal policy and they found that the fiscal deficit increases by almost 1% in election year. It's a lot more prominent in developing nations rather than developed nations. I mean, that would make sense because developed nations tend to have a more stable political regime. So, you know, one doesn't really have to go out, go around giving so many freebies to people to get votes. Speaking of a little more country-specific, I found in India, the election budgets have a major swing. So, the government during election years, the government revenues from taxed and non-taxed sources fall short by 7.7%. So, essentially, what the forecast for the revenue that the government provides in the budget on a regular year would fall short by around 3-4%, to whereas in an election year, they tend to overstate their revenue and that number usually falls short by 7.7%. They're also very optimistic about how much they will be able to rein in expenditure and control their deficits. The variance for the forecasted expenditures and the final numbers are usually off by 0.1% in a non-election year. In an election year, this increases to 3.6%. So essentially, both revenues fall short and expenditures are more than what they should be. So the levels of borrowings and deficits end up rising a lot more in election years than in non-election years. So given that the elections happen ever so often, some countries it is every four years, some countries it is every five years, don't you think that an increased budget, even if right before elections, might actually cause some good infrastructural changes in a country? Good infrastructural changes would have to be a little more long-term, right? Just giving away some tax reliefs or some freebies just before an election year doesn't really end up translating into long-term gain. This is very short-term thinking and, you know, this has has taken place over numerous accounts in a lot of different countries and states where there is elections where they, where governments or, you know, probable governments will offer the the voters goodies and remittances and things like that just to gain their vote for that one election term and then they're back to square one where things are harsher than they, I mean, as harsh as they used to be or sometimes even harsher than they used to be. So, I feel, isn't that just sacrificing long-term gain for some short-term power and like winning a popularity contest? So, innately, democracy is based on a popularity contest, right? Now, if one of the people contesting in this popularity contest gets such a nice stage to proclaim that these are the changes that we can make. And factually, we are trying to make these changes via numbers, via actual money being thrown into the system. Don't you think it's a given that it will happen and there is no way around it? So that's what I was reading about. You know, I'm, I think again, this whole thing of having a third party financial, you know, committee, which looks over the government and makes sure they're staying in check and all comes into play. But as we spoke about earlier, that's a very utopian thing. I don't really think it's going to be um, a reality or, a, you know, even something even close to reality. I think democracy, I mean, I think there the 
the people in the democracy, the the people who are actually voting for these governments have to be smarter. It has to be more of an education of the public rather than the people in power changing their methods because if it's not, if it's working, why why fix it? It's that old saying, if it ain't broke, why go around changing it? So if it's working so far, why will government suddenly be like, oh, you know, we're going to be honest with our budgets and we're not going to let elections or upcoming elections affect what we give as our fiscal policy. So the third party that you talk about in this case scenario, in a democracy, the essential third party is the competition, right? Now, if you are promising a better budget to the country, then wouldn't the competition also be tied down? In, wouldn't the competition's hands also be tied down to live up to the same kind of budget in case they come to power? So don't you think it can be offset by the competition by making statements that, yes, we would have matched this budget anyways? So it's not even about matching the budget or, you know, living up to what the competition is suggesting. I feel like in a lot of places, this whole drive to win the elections or to get re-elected or stay in power overtakes this whole, what I believe at least is the primary objective of a democracy or of a government to make the country go forward, to, to uh, you know, fuel growth, to to improve infrastructure within the country, to make sure that people are more educated, there is more jobs, things like that, rather than just one, one year you have lower taxes and you're allowing people a little more rebates on their taxes and things like that. You have to have a lot more in terms of as we were talking about in the with the previous topic, there has to be a lot more in terms of developments, in terms of infrastructure, in in terms of setting up new utilities and making lives easier for the people who live in the country rather than just saying, oh yeah, here's a little bit of extra money. So what I'm hearing is that democracy innately in your view becomes a short-term thinking for a government. Don't you think when the governments do go for a longer-term project and for a longer-term budget, it goes kind of unseen and sometimes the claim can lie with the competition of the completion of the said project. So again, I think that leads to a very deep conversation and a much more in-depth conversation for which I am no expert. But I think we as humans have become very short-term people. We have lost the ability to look at the long term. You know, everything today, we want it to be 10 seconds, 5 seconds, reels. We've gone from videos to reels to shorts to everything. Everything is in short form content. Grab your attention quickly and let it go because the attention span is just a split second. So similarly, I think when it comes to governments and politics and budgets, we have also become very short-term minded. We want results immediately. We want, when we make an investment in the stock market, we want to see gains immediately. If something is not giving us gains immediately, we end up you know, moving on from there. So I think we as humans have to give things time to run their course. So when there is an infrastructure project, when there is a you know new highway being built or a new power plant being built or a new type of energy that is being tested, you have to give it its time. Not everything is going to be ready instantly and not everything can be flawless if it's ready instantly, right? If that was the case, instant noodles would be the best thing ever. But there is a reason instant noodles are a college student diet. Because they are quick, but they're not the most nutritious thing. Nutritious dishes often take time to be made. So it's just 
that same concept translating over when it comes to food obviously that duration is you know maybe 2 minutes to an hour or maybe an hour and a half but with infrastructure projects and things that governments are undertaking for the betterment of the country this time span is a few years so i agree that there times where projects will fall through where things will not work out but i think governments have to be given and afforded that time to make their long term plans work because if everything is short term then there can never be any any tangible progress that takes place in a country democracy being the decision of the many and the many being the entirety of a country at least the entire voting community of a country how do you recommend we get there where many people are aware of the longevity of these projects many people are aware that it takes time and how do you educate these people i think for this we have to go back to plato and socrates and what they thought of democracies and why they thought democracies were flawed because they said that people are not informed and educated enough to make informed and educated decisions when it comes to voting and electing governments and people responsible so i think it all boils down to the whole fact that people need to be a lot more educated before they can you know be given the responsibility of casting a vote and obviously there is the whole thing of asking governments to be a lot more transparent and things like that but again that strays into utopian debate so maybe this leads back to what you were trying to say in your earlier point that maybe make these infrastructure projects private so governments are not the doers but the overseers so overseers can be changed and the project is still being done by that same company who took uh, took on that project and that can be a lot a, lo- a whole lot more long term absolutely love how you turned the tables back on to me and all the heat is back on my side so i have a very simple example i read this book called economics in one lesson by a nobel prize winning economist called henry aslett and he gives the example of two farmers so you are an investor and you have money in your pocket now two farmers come by and they're asking you for x amount of money one of them is a very highly experienced farmer with numerous years of running a farm and generating productive output the other side is the novice who has never done farming before but wants to venture into the farmland adventure now they come to you as an investor and they ask you for x amount of money the question is who do you give the investment to i think this goes back to that whole thing you know how, what is the risk that i am willing to take what is the kind of money that i'm giving these people am i very open to risk am i not looking to take a lot of risk i think that's first question that will pop into my head the reasoning behind these questions comes down to the fact that it is your money and it is your money at risk and it is your risk your livelihood your future and your return in the future now if i give your money to a third party in order to invest in these projects for the third party to look better that third party becomes the government when i give taxpayer money to the government the government can later advertise that i got new, new people into farming how did the government get new people into farming using your money irrespective of what your risk profile would be and if i were concerned about the fact that you know 
this new farmer will not be able to enter the pool of farmers even if they want to. There are specific funds called growth funds, venture funds, which are willing to fund these projects. And if the project is not going to be a profitable one, maybe the country should not be undertaking such projects. So then the farmer needs to use his brain and go into a different kind of project. That's where the birth of new technology comes in. That's where the birth of new kind of products come in. And I think government playing just a regulatory role that nothing weird is happening here or nothing fake is happening here or people are not just trying to hide away in darkness, that would be the ideal route. Yeah, so I think essentially what we're both trying to get at through our different perspectives and through our different, what do I say, routes that we have taken is that we want the government to do what it's doing and obviously it has to look after its own interests but at the same time for it to look after the interests of the country as as well as those of itself it should take on the role of delegator rather than the role of getting into you know the the nitty gritties and getting the getting its own quote unquote hands dirty it has to maintain its distance it has to maintain that perspective so that it can be like, oh yeah, this is this person's not going about this correctly. So, hello, we need to pull you up, and or you know, this is this is the way things should be done. This is our vision, and here it's up to you, the people who have voted us into power, who have the company, the resources, the expertise to pull off these projects to do that. And on your front, I think the government, instead of dressing up to look good, needs to stay on that pitch. Just point its finger for an out or get its arms wide for a wide ball or blow the whistle for a foul on a player rather than go there and, you know, this referee in a white hat trying to take the ball and trying to bowl himself. That would be very funny in sport and it is happening in our lives on a daily basis. We just don't see the irony. For the final disclaimer of this episode, it was a heavily opinionated episode with most of it being our opinions. And we would love for all of you to go and fact check us, bring your side of the opinions and what your understanding of our opinions are. Even if you want to throw abuse at us, do it in the comment section and tell us why you would throw the abuse at us. Tell us why you feel it. You feel our opinion is in a negative manner. This was all our opinion. I think we started off with a little bit of fact here and there where we could, but it developed into just us trying to defend our stances and trying to take stances, which mean we may not be the most comfortable taking. But we're doing this to open up some more discussions with you guys. We want to talk to you. We want to know what you guys think. So we've chosen a couple of polarizing topics so that you are polarized, so that we get some extreme opinions, so that we can have some discussions. Come talk to us. Let's debate, let's talk. And yeah, hurl abuses at us if you think we were, we were being stupid. We're open to that as well. And let us know what you think about the new format. And did you enjoy the new kind of debate that we've had? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Thought Bistro podcast. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation and were able to learn something new. If you liked the episode, please be sure to subscribe to our show and leave a review on your favorite podcast app. You can also follow us on social media. 
our Instagram and Twitter handles are available in the show notes. Thanks again for listening and we shall see you in the next one.